Now we're going to carry on with um, Charlotte's. I'll tell you what, whatever you do, don't let a teacher put the basic shell together because you'll be digging deep for a long, long time. <laughs> well done, Charlotte. We're talking about the two worlds collide. And the, the, the series focuses on the world of Moses and Israel and God versus Egypt. And Egypt today you would equate to the Americas or to one of the world powers. They were the world power in their day. And Charlotte's already looked at how, how um, Moses grew up as a prince of Egypt until he killed one of them. Then he ran away and he married a, a Canaanite, not a Canaanite woman, a Midianite, which was also a descendant of Abraham. Jethro was his father-in-law and God gave him instruction to come back to Egypt and to tell Pharaoh to let his people go. And I think that's where we sort of got up to the plagues. We started looking, we looked at the plagues and what God did to prove to Pharaoh and to the Egyptian people um, that he was the only God and that his word was law and he stood over it to perform it. How many need to hear that this morning? God stands over his word to perform it. He's absolutely reliable. He's absolutely faithful. And as we read this deeper and deeper throughout most the book of Exodus, you're going to actually get to see the character and the nature of God. And so we used to, um, about, we used to receive in New Testament teachings, which actually parallel with this, and we'll just touch on the parallels right at the end. But the character, the nature, the love, the faithfulness, the protection, the ruthlessness of God is revealed um, through as he takes his nation out of Egypt. So there's quite a few readings. Um, I've got, they should be up on, on the screen. But I'm just, you don't have to turn there because there's too many. So I'm, I'm going to pick up from where now Pharaoh has finally said, Israel, Israelites, get out of Egypt. Get out. We don't want you. Uh, if you remember, they, the firstborn had been killed. And even the Pharaoh's own firstborn child. Uh, and it wasn't only for the Egyptians. Even the Israelites, if they had not followed the, the directions of, of God, their first children, uh, children would, were killed. And not only people, the, the livestock, the first of the livestock was killed. And the Bible says there was a great wailing throughout the land of Egypt. And as God came down to bear, he had tolerated them enough. And now he stretched out his strong hand, as the Bible said, strong arm. And he delivered devastatingly hard. Uh, so we're picking up from there. God has already, at this point, ordered Moses to tell Israel, on the night that I do this, there's certain things I want you to do. Um, so Exodus 12:33, he, he orders his people to do it. They, they start doing it. And uh, picking up from verse 33, as I said, the Egyptians, listen to this, the Egyptians were urgent with the people to send them out of the land in haste. When, they be, when Egypt was was so harassed and so bombarded, am I completely out of the way? 
Welcome, everybody online. We're just about ready to say amen. <laughs> uh, especially for Peter. Rez. Hello. Um, so, <coughs> this gives us an idea of how drastically the Egyptians wanted Israel out of their country. They now realized these guys were more than just servants or slaves to them. They were actually bringing calamity and death to their nation. And so in haste, they wanted, they were urgent, as the Bible says, to get them out of the land. Um, For they said, if we don't, we shall all be dead. So the people took their dough before it was leavened. The, the, The Egyptian ladies were still making the dough. They just gave them the dough. It hadn't even finished being made. They just gave them to take with them. But it it turned out to be exactly as the Lord prescribed it to be, unleavened. That's what they took with them, unleavened bread. It it wasn't intended to be unleavened. The Egyptians intended to put leaven into it. They just never got that far because they were too urgent to get rid of the Israelites. And um, their kneading bowls being bound up in clothes uh, on their shoulders. The people of Israel had also done what, as Moses had told them. For, for they had asked the Egyptians for silver and gold and jewelry and clothing. And the Lord had given the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they let them have what they asked. Thus they plundered Egypt. Israel plundered Egypt, the world nation without raising a finger because God said, ask them for this stuff and they just said, have, what do you want? Here's my animals, here's my silver, here's my gold and they plundered Egypt. Egypt had nothing by the time Israel left. They will, Egypt was, like, Israel was carrying all this, this uh, uh, I wouldn't call it uh, uh, raided, raided loot, looted wealth. It was just given to them by the Egyptians. This is what our God can do to a, a, a mighty nation like Egypt. Now, I want to tell you that this story we've heard before, growing up in Sunday school, how Moses takes the Israelites out of Egypt across the Dead Sea. Let me tell you what. Let's get a picture of what, what was actually going on here. The Bible says that on the, on the move out, there were 600,000 men counted. Now, in the census in those days, they only used to count the men. But if, by, if you by uh, assumption take that with women and children, you would easily get to 1.3 million, plus all their livestock. In other words, not only their stuff, but what the Egyptians had given them as well. So what we have here is God puts a, a, a nation on the move. This is not a small little bunch. You know, We think of like 40 people and Moses and... This is a nation. This is millions of, well, nearly, nearly two million that he's dealing with, managing as a, single, as a single process out of Egypt. Another thing of, of interest is that they'd been, the, the Israelites had been in Egypt for 430 years prior to coming out. That's four and a half generations. The ones who were the last, the latest generation didn't even know any other life except the Egyptian way of life. They worshipped Egyptian gods. They grew up as Egyptians. They had the story of God, the God of Abraham, but they had never met him. 
They worshipped and bowed down to golden calves, as we see later again, uh, as we follow that. They were completely Egyptian in their character and in their nature, but not by, their, not by birth and, they, and not by belonging. They belonged to the Lord God Almighty. And now the time had come where he was setting them apart. Um, they were, in fact, when, when Israel started, if you remember the story of Joseph, he was, uh, Pharaoh put him in charge of the granary and all the rest of it. But he had a mountain, his responsibility was overwhelming to the nation of, of Egypt. And as the people lived there and died there and lived there and died there and lived there and died there for four generations, they became entwined. So Egypt was their home. That we need to understand that. So when Moses comes to them and says, God Almighty is going to take us out of Egypt, it wouldn't have just been, hooray, let's go. It would have been, what? What? My great grandfather, my great grandfather, my great grandfather all lived there. There's his house. And now you're saying we're going to be separated from this place. And you'll hear a little bit later of how they complained to the Lord once they were out of Egypt. Send us back. Please, we don't want to be with you. Can you imagine that? That's exactly what happened. But before they left, God gave Moses these three instructions, three, these three festivals. They had to, it was obligatory to remember. Number one, the, the feast of the Passover, where the, Egyptian, uh, where the Israelites put blood on the tops of their doors and the Holy Spirit left, moved over their house to the next one. It was around the same feast and celebration. The day the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples was the day of Pentecost, the day, the day of the Passover, that very same day, except a couple of thousand years later. The very same festival, and, and the life of what Jesus would do on earth mirrored and multiplied what, what God had done in Egypt with the Israelites. Everyone having a good time? Everyone snoring? Everyone's good? Okay. Good. Thanks, Jackie. I'm going to miss that. We're going to have to record that and just keep playing it. All right. So um, Exodus 12, 24. This is, the God, this is God speaking to Moses. You shall observe this right as, right as a statute for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land that the Lord will give you, as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children, he's talking about the Passover, and when your children say to you what, do you, what does this mean? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover, for he passed over the houses of the people of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians, but spared our houses. So it was put in place as a reminder, because God realized not those who came out of Egypt were going to always be there. They were going to have a very short time on earth. But he, he implemented feasts and statutes and commands and laws that every single person that followed on after them in their, in their nation followed and understood the exact law and the exact promises and the exact things that God had done. So obviously the next thing that happened, the Holy Spirit moved over the whole of the land. Uh, there was nothing that was firstborn that was saved. Everything that was firstborn that hadn't been sealed with the blood of the lamb, with the blood of a lamb, 
was taken and was killed. Uh, so it brings an interesting parallel into the life of Jesus because it was only by the blood of the Lamb that those Israelites had suffered no loss. The Holy Spirit moved right over them. Not because of who they were, because if they hadn't, didn't have the blood on their doorpost, he would have gone in there and taken their firstborn. But because of the blood of the Lamb, the Holy Spirit moved past. Jesus says he is, his sacrifice on the cross is the blood of the Lamb for us. So the, the, uh, convic- the condemnation and judgment which should be ours passes over us. Not because of us, because of the blood of the Lamb. So this parallel is actually seen, as I say, right, in, right at the beginning of this period. And if, if talking about the firstborn, if you look at Abraham, remember Abraham was instructed to sacrifice Isaac. Isaac was his first and only born child. And God said to him, take your son, go and lay him on an altar, and sacrifice him to me. Firstborn. God stopped him at the moment he was going to do it. Uh, and and counted, counted it as, as, as cre- credited as righteousness to him that he, that he had prepared, he was prepared to go through with that. Because it's not only Abraham that, that gave that sacrifice. God himself gave that sacrifice. He never asked man to do something that he was not prepared to do, except he went through with it. Jesus Christ died. He sacrificed his son, and when all the sins of the world had, were on him, he turned his face away from him. His only son, firstborn. Now, those of you that are parents here, think back to your firstborn, whether it's a son or a daughter. It's irrelevant. Can you ever imagine turning your face away from them in the deepest hour of need? God did, because his word is sovereign and law and is not, is not, uh, uh, will not be broken. As I start off by saying, it will achieve that which it set out to do. So firstborns run through, the, run through the line of Israel getting out of Egypt. We see them later in the life of Jesus. And then in Revelation, now we're going to go right back to the bottom of the last book of the Bible, 1.5, from Jesus Christ. So John looks around and he sees this man shining like the sun and it, it's Jesus standing in front of him. And John writes down according to what he's been told. And this is the introduction John was given. And from Jesus Christ, the message he's going to give now, is from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kingdoms of the earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. So the firstborn is, is, is a trajectory that on a spiritual realm, started with, with the, the Israel coming out of, out of Egypt. Is this loud enough? Can everyone hear me? And ended with Jesus being sacrificed on the cross. Why, was, why did it end then? Because Jesus' sacrifice was enough. It was all 
that could be done. There was nothing required after that. It fulfilled every law. It, it, it brought righteousness upon all people, whoever, Gentile, Jew, foreigner, traveler, anyone who believed on the name of the Lord could be saved because of what he had done on the cross. There wasn't another requirement. There isn't another God come in or another prophet come in or another wonderful saying or a new enlightenment. Jesus Christ is the final answer on all things. And uh, it was sealed by the blood of, the, of God himself through his own son. And then the third thing God told them to do before they, le- they left is the feast, to, to feast the unleavened bread. Remember I was saying how, they, how the Egyptians were baking and they didn't even get through the process of mixing the dough and they just gave the dough. And uh, God actually says to, the, to Israel, you shall observe the feast of the un- unleavened bread for on this very day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generation as a statute forever. In other words, here's a piece of unleavened bread. On its own, zero value. Behind it, the significance of it, the meaning of it, everything. Symbolic, everything. And that's what God's saying to Moses. The people that follow you, your children and their children and their children, will remember what I've done today because of this bread, this unleavened bread. And in fact, becomes part, as, as I said, becomes a feast for them. And then it seems that God takes them on a whirly, whirly, hurly, whirly roundabout. But it really isn't when you when you look into the depths of what Exodus talks about the next phase. So the next phase, they they march down to the Red Sea, or God leads them. Now, can you imagine this? We sit in here, and we're praising and we're believing. How many, just raise your hand, how many of you have seen God in the fa- that he stood in front of you and spoken to you? Okay. Every Israelite in this group that was traveling to her um, saw God as a pillar in the day, a pillar of smoke, at night as a pillar of fire. They had a physical manifestation daily, daily, that God was with them. They didn't have to look. Just watch in front of you. There's God. There. Right there. Always there. Um, so, so God brings them down to the, to the Red Sea. And he gets them to camp. Now, as I say, there are about 1.5 million people to camp in a, in a valley. So they build themselves into the valley. There's no way out. The sea is on the one side. Big mountain ridges are on the other two sides of them. And the pathway in. And Egypt is approaching them on the pathway in. And this is, what the, uh, this is what the Bible says about that period. Um, but, oh, my word. I've, lost, I've dropped the page. This is a very important page. I must tell you this. <laughs> Here it is. So you got the picture. Picture doesn't change. Painting's still the same. When Pharaoh drew near, so he's coming down, him and his chariots, his 600 fine chariots, plus all his army, plus all his warriors. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israelite lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. Hey, guys, we're going to get taken out here. This is a huge army, and we're cornered. We can do nothing. They feared greatly. 
And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, so they had the Lord, they cried out to him, but they said to Moses, uh, it is because there is no grave, is it because there's no grave in Egypt that you've brought us here into the wilderness to kill us? Do you want us to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? So straight away, I'm in trouble. Uh, you, the, you the actor told me to come here. You the person who said I must follow you. you there's your God. And there, and we've do, been doing, but here comes, Israel, uh, here comes the Egyptians. And although they had seen God daily, they still, they still feared. They still feared, even though they'd seen God every single day. If you remember the disciples in the boat with Jesus, they were with the Son of God. They feared. Fear and in man is as natural a phenomenon as overcoming fear is to God. Or non-fear, I suppose, if you want to call that, that word. So God is not surprised by such a comment. He knows that man fears. Man is feeble and brittle and will collapse and implode at the smallest blow of the wind. But he's God. He's got God. I mean, God's there. So they feared. And then they declared, this is the mo- was the most amazing thing to me, they declared that they wanted to go back and serve the Egyptians. They actually said, forget this. We want to go back to where we were. That was better. We'd rather go and serve the Egyptians because they, at least we had food to eat and we had water to drink and we had a place to die and get buried. We would rather have that God than have you free us because this is a little bit hard for us and we're very scared. So they actually... <laughs> it's crazy for me. Uh, then God says to Moses, okay... Take your hand, put it out over the, the water. I'm going to paraphrase the next, period, next couple of uh, readings. Put your hand out over the water uh, and stretch it out. And the sea parts. The sea actually parts. And God shows another thing in that process. He reveals that he's not only the, the God of people and the land and the beasts. And the, he's over creation. He can change a sea. He can move mountains because that's what he said he can do. He can rearrange the universe if he wanted to. That's the power of what we're talking about, standing with them on the beach. So Moses does it. The seaway opens and the Israelites walk through. They didn't even run. They walked through. They got through eventually all 1.5 million of them by the end of that day. They came onto the beach. The Egyptians that started the journey in the, in the seabed with horses and chariots, and, but the chariots got bogged down in the mud because it was seafloor they were riding, riding on. So they got bogged down. Then they decided, should we turn it around or should we go forward? Or should? And so there was major confusion, which we've seen God do many times throughout the Old Testament. He confuses those that plot against him. And so they said, okay, let's, get, let's go back. But it was too late because God closed in the water and they didn't make it. And God actually said to Israel, not one of those people that you saw, you will ever see again. Not one of them. I have taken care of every single one of them. They are, they are dumb, <laughs> to, put it that, to put it mildly. 
Uh, I'm just, I think that's where I'm actually going to bring it to a bit of a landing. We've got, no, we've got another couple to go, but the things, there are some things that I wanted to just highlight. Uh, uh, one of the things that Exodus talks about is in 14.9, and this we need to hear as well. This is very important. If you're in a difficult place right now, just listen to Exodus. Just listen to our, our God. Just listen to what our God does. Exodus 14, verse 9. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud, God, moved from before them and stood behind them. This is between them and Pharaoh. Coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. The, the verse carries on. Let me tell you what. When you see God leave the front of the march and take up his stand behind you, nothing's getting through there. Nothing is getting through there. His angels as well, not only him, his angels stood behind him. They stood in the gap, in a sense, for Israel. There was no way Pharaoh was ever going to make it. Whether Moses swam across the sea or he went across on dry land. God was between the, the evil and his people. And we need to realize that in our life, when we say, if God is for you, who can be against you? But we don't, we don't get that. We don't understand it. We don't understand the depth of that. We're talking about God surrounding us like a strong tower. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And the righteous run into it and are safe. That is, that is what we have. But we, we, get, we treat ourselves as less. And, and, and in the process, we treat God as less as well. Because we, be, we believe that God can do it, but we have doubts whether he can do it. And he can live with that. He can work with that. But the fact that the, the reality remains is in our context, we do not have a physical manifestation. We don't have something to touch or to actually watch the cloud of God come behind you. Man, I'll tell you what, it would have been so cool to have God standing on my back, or standing right behind my back. Guys, you can do nothing. But it, only didn't, happen, it didn't only happen in Exodus. It, right throughout the Old Testament, you see him surround his people. Or he wars for them. They don't even lift a, a finger to fight. Or he just, man, this God that we serve, that he invited us into a relationship with, we aren't here by right to submit to him. But in return, we get the whole of him. All of him. Now and forever. Man, this is a God. This is our God. And uh, so I'm actually going to finish it off there with these just to name the points as a bullet point. Number one, he's faithful. God is faithful. He's a provider. He's a protector. He's a teacher. He's a father. He's all of those things. And he displays it to Israel firsthand in the, man, in the physical. They see it. They feel it. They, the quail that they ate, that came from God. The, ma the, the manner that they... Eight came from God. The water rushing from the rock. I'm jumping into next week's series. That came from God. There was not one thing man ever did. Moses, Aaron, or any of them. In that wilderness, that was accredited to man. God was the only doer. 
and he was faithful with what he had, with what he had said he would do, he did. So it's a fantastic opportunity for us to just think in our own lives, do we have the same God, or do we view, should I put it this way, do we view God the same? The same God that freed a nation from a nation, the same God that defeated them behind his people, the same God that provided for them, predicted what they needed to take with them. I mean, he's done everything. If, if you get a word from God through people, through your, you, 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 you do your quiet time or you're doing a devotional time and you feel God is saying this, man, why on earth would you ignore God? Why would we choose to ignore God? This is who God is. In fact, Paul later talks about don't fear, don't fear the one who can um, kill your flesh. Fear the one who can keep you in hell for eternity. That's the man you fear. Not this temporal thing. Um, we're going to get into some good stories. A good series. Good series. And it's awesome parallels which we'll come to at the end. Charlotte will wrap up. I'll do the the next one next week, and then Charlotte will wrap up the whole series um, on, on the, f- the following week. But I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm, I'm so pleased that God saved me, that God sent his Holy Spirit my way. He said, will you come? Will you come? Will you come? And I was like, will you come? Yes. Because man alive, I've got a God with me. This God is not to be feared. Uh, is to be feared. This God is to be respected. This God is to be honored, worshipped, adored. I don't sit in a church um, on a Sunday morning because it's the right thing to do for someone. I'm here because of my Father and what He's done. Only Him and through His Son, Jesus, what they've done. That's the only reason I'm here. And I don't even have to be here. I can be on the front lawn with two or three others. Who, who are united in that thinking. Because wherever we are, God is... Tim actually did a preach on that a while ago. It's not to say God isn't with one, but he says, I'm stronger with two. I'm, there's more of me with two. With three, you can win battles. You can win armies. Think of the story of Nehemiah and how he rebuilt Jerusalem. One a sword in one hand and building with the other. But that's what God said. Do that. Do that. So this morning, I hope it's been insightful, a little bit of teaching, actually quite a lot of teaching, very little preaching, um, information, but it's good information. And it's, it's all logged as, as validated history. The validations, you can, look up, you can look into yourself or you can speak to me about various ones that I've looked into. The validations are all there. This really happened, in other words. It still happens. God has not changed, except that he's now forgiven us all and opened the door for all to come in. We praise you, Father, this morning that, that your character and your nature is so above us because we would have thrown in the towel how many times already? We would have given up over and over and over again. We've had enough of this. We've had enough of that. 
And we're very driven by what we believe and what we see and what we feel in our emotions. But you are solid. You see, the thing, Father, is when you say something, that is your word. You bind yourself to your word. It never returns to you without achieving what you set it out to do. And so this morning, just open this up, Holy Spirit, further in our lives. Through the week, let us cause us to think more and more about who God is. This, tr- this trinity, this triune God. Who do we serve? Who have we given our lives to? And we thank you, Father, that you are with us wherever we go. No matter what we feel like, we can be up against the firing squad, but you're standing between the bullets and the men shooting. Just between us and the men shooting. And not that this world, not that this life holds value, but you hold value. You in yourself hold value, and you've promised us. You've promised us. Whoever believes in the name of Jesus Christ will be saved, will live in eternity, forever in his kingdom. What a blessing. We give you glory this morning in Jesus' name, Father. Amen. 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 Amen.